0: the short podcast platform. Hello my friend and welcome to The Closet Space. My name is Vic Ravindran and every week I talk to amazing individuals who have come out of the closet in some form or another, whether they're part of the LGBTQIA community, or even if they've come out of closets we don't often talk about. This week I'm beyond thrilled to talk to someone who I have loved for a long time. Actor, writer and comedian, D'Lo. D-Lo's coming out journey took him on a wild ride that came with the lows of leaving his family behind and the highs of finally being recognized by the entertainment industry as the talented queer transgender performer he is. Without further ado, my conversation with Dilo. Hello Dilo. thank you so much for joining me here in the closet
1: space. Oh, thanks for having me. I love this closet.
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully we don't have to stick inside of it for too long. But for my guests who don't know you, D'Lo is an amazing actor, writer, and comedian. You have starred in uh, projects such as Sense8, Mr. Robot, Transparent, Looking, and The Upcoming Bros by Billy Eichner, which is making history with an all-queer cast. So you are booked, blessed, and busy. Yes, I Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So not only are you a super talented performer, but you are also my first queer and transgender guest on my show. So I'm so excited for my listeners to be able to hear your journey. I feel like what I want my show to be is to be like an open book full of different types of experiences. And I can't wait to add yours to the list and for people to be able to learn something about coming out and being able to embrace yourself because I feel like you're a perfect person to teach people how to do that.
1: Thanks, Rick. I'm so happy. And
0: another thing, a bonus thing, is that you are also Tamil Sri Lankan, just like myself. So we're related. So we're, I mean, essentially we're yeah. related. We might as well be. Well, I'm so glad to have you here because to have that experience as Young brown people in America dealing with Western culture, with immigrant parents who might not understand, let alone you living, you know, maybe a quote unquote normal American life, but living something that they couldn't even possibly imagined for their child. That's true. So I love to be able to have that conversation with you and uh, to have that in common with you. And I can't wait to talk to you more about it. Yes, I'm down. So before you became the superstar that you are acting in Hollywood movies and TV shows, you are obviously a strong stage performer. You do stand-up, you do storytelling. How did you get into the storytelling and stand-up and comedy world as a trans performer?
1: Yeah, um, well, you know, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a music producer. And what I was doing was I was a student activist in at UCLA, and then I was writing poetry. I had been writing poetry from before. I was very inspired by hip-hop of that time, and I just felt like I had a voice. And, you know, our parents, like, they're like, just shush your mouth, like, don't make any waves. But, like, hip-hop's kind of the, uh, the opposite of that. And so I felt like, oh, I had something to share and something to say. And so, I was doing poetry throughout college and I was getting actually paid for it. Oh, wow. So when I left UCLA, it was like two months prior to me graduating is when I came out. And I went to like Amenapa weren't good with that. upa is my parents. And they like it wasn't cool. It wasn't good. So I left. Mm-hmm. I went to New York and there I was working as an activist literally. And then I was doing poetry in New York. And so that's kind of the roots of what my story came from, like the the theater, the stand up, the solo based work, all of that came from that point forward. But it was rooted in me being a poet. Gotcha. And so when
0: you came out to uh, Amanapa, as I also call my parents, did you come out with your sexual identity or did you come up with your gender identity how did you how did you explain that to your parents yeah
1: so when i was younger i i was like a tomboy Mm -hmm. um there was a small time in between like junior high and the end of high school that i tried to be a girl Mm -hmm. and so when i came out it was that i was gay that's what i said I'm, i'm gay because we didn't have a word that fit us, and then I think that my appa understands what a lesbian is, and my amma is still on the binary, so she was like, "Okay, you're a you're a masculine person." Like one day I told my amma, I was like, "Amma, you know, like two there's been like one she calls them girl boys," mm-hmm. so I was like, or, "Or boy girls," that's what she says. She <laughs> a boy girls. So I said, I'm a you know, a boy girl can date another boy girl. And she's like, no. <laughs> like, no, no, why?
0: Too much to comprehend.
1: <laughs> and she's like, that's too gay. <laughs> so that's what I came out as is, is is gay. And then it was later that I started using the word trans, but kind of everybody knew my existence as being like, once the word trans started coming up more, mm-hmm. then people understood my queerness as being trans. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, you know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like a big leap for me to say trans. It sure. was just, okay, so this is the terminology we're using right now.
0: We just finally had uh, the vernacular to be able to categorize it or to be able to understand it in a, at least in a word form. Yeah. So, with that, when you've started feeling those initial thoughts or like going through it, like maybe even in, in, in those middle school days, was it your attempt to try to hide it? Was it your goal to try to hide it? Or did you feel like by embracing it, it was emboldening?
1: No, actually. So imagine like I, I looked like a boy. People used to come up to my parents and be like, what a cute son you have. You oh, know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I looked like that up until the sixth grade. I remember the boy, the new kids at the school were like, Why is that boy in the girls' line? Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I was like that up until the sixth grade. And I knew though that if I went into junior high looking the way that I did, people were gonna start questioning my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so I started transitioning then to being like a girl. I see. Know? So I was definitely trying to hide it because. Already I was going to, you know, like Khabib Amir, all of us was going to Bethel Christian Academy, right? Mm-hmm. And there it was like, um, you know, I remember one time this lady, uh, the uh, my teacher was like, oh, you know, these days, who knows, we might have to hire homosexuals. And, and I was like, what the hell is a homosexual? And then she told me what it, she told the class what it was. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, but that's not me. I, like, I'm sure. not a girl who likes girls. I'm like a boy, really, who likes girls. That was, but I realized that that's not how the world saw me. And I had seen some other idiot show uh, like Amori Povic and it was like horrible. So mm. I just kind of knew that my ass needed to stay in the closet and just try and survive Lancaster. And I think that at a young age I was like, well, if things don't get better for me by the time I'm 30, I thought 30 was so old. <laughs> I was like, then I'm going to just kill myself. Uh, like I was young when I thought that. And so when you think about like how young queer kids suffer and mm. then like I'm so grateful grateful that there's so much representation out there but I know that even with that amount of representation like families are root, like fucked up to their to the, to yeah. their young people. And if they're making decisions at that age, like I know I was that age so just saying that like, okay, well this life is not worth it because I knew that I was a good person mm-hmm. and the only... Sin I was committing was that I was queer, but I couldn't do anything about that. It's not like I felt like I had a choice. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I I knew fresh out the gate that I was attracted to women, you Mm
0: -hmm. know? I feel like I say this a lot. I don't know if Viola Davis said this herself, but you can't be what you can't see, right? Mm -hmm, So it's like, mm -hmm. if you don't have like a a vision of what your future could look like, it's very easy for someone to imagine that they do not have a future. So it's a a horrible cycle. And that's why it's so incredible that I love seeing this in some of my guests. And I feel like you're a walking example of it, but you are now that representation for younger trans people to be able to see it, identify themselves in it. And then see that there's an amazing world out there because of D'Lo. Because look look at what D'Lo's doing. D'Lo's yeah. a fucking movie star. Yeah.
1: I do know that there's a lot of people who have told me that, you know, it's because they saw my show that they came out or it's because they saw my show that they decided that they want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, like how many times I get that kind of feedback and like responses to my work that I didn't even know. Like I did shows like maybe 20 years ago and people are like, If I hadn't seen your show, I wouldn't be where I'm at. So I'm like, that's such a blessing. And I'm grateful that I could be able to do that. I didn't understand that that's what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I I thought I was just trying to make people more tolerant and accepting of queer people by repping and doing the material that I was doing. But it is, it's, it it is a big ass blessing to know that my work has been impactful in that Mm -hmm. way because I know how isolating it is for so many young queer people to not feel like they just have, it's not just seeing somebody on stage. It's also like being able to understand that somebody can break down what is happening for them Mm -hmm. in that moment and say, it's not you, it's not you. You're not the problem.
0: Yeah. And also, it's not you going through it alone, because I did it before, and there's several of the people in this audience who are probably here with you, and we're all commiserating over the same ideas that we've felt, unfortunately, as a group experience. A lot of people will go through it individually, but to just know that you're in a room full of people who share your uh, journey is so impactful, because it can be very easy to imagine that you are alone in those uh, feelings that you might have. Absolutely. We'll be right back with more from the Closet Space. Welcome back to The Closet Space. My conversation with actor, writer, and comedian D'Lo continues. I feel like acting and comedy is based and rooted in truth. So I wanted to ask you about, like, your acting process, your comedy process, and, like, how you use your personal truth to guide your roles when you're acting
1: and and also to guide
0: your comedy when you're telling jokes and sharing your your personal truth.
1: I was saying that, like, before when I was a poet, I used to write about other people's issues, like... Larger issues like war, police brutality, AIDS, like Mm. stuff like that. And I didn't realize at that time that I needed to write about what was going on for me with my family. And I think because my sister passed away that my parents couldn't kick me out of the house. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I was the only one left. But they definitely couldn't accept it and they didn't want to talk about it. And it just was lots and lots of fights, just fights, 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 fights. So for me, I needed to write from what I knew as a sort of like a therapy, but like also just all my queer mentors of color have all been like, if you don't learn how to be vulnerable, you're going to die quicker than you know. This is what happens with queer people. We're not given a space to truly be vulnerable, to show our hearts, to talk about our fears. We got to act like we got everything put together when all of our shit inside is falling apart. So, I, f- I feel like what what I ended up doing was doing what I was called to do, which is, my mentors were like, you have to start writing about your own shit. And so I wrote this first monologue from Amma's perspective about her kid being queer and her mourning her first daughter and just the process of losing two daughters, you know? Mm-hmm. And... That embodiment was my first foray in doing character work. And then I continued doing only character work. So that was for my own. Because back then, you know, you're a gender nonconforming person. You can't go to an acting class. Like I had, right. I had showed for agents. I had showed for managers. They all said that I was talented. But nobody knew what to do with me. They knew that there were no roles. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the world has changed, obviously, over the past, I don't know, eight years five to eight years but prior to that taking the personal stories juxtaposing them onto characters executing characters with different genders different occupations different age ranges you get what i'm saying those things helped me hone my craft of acting so the personal always was the base for that and and i see how it uh, helps me in doing these industry gigs you know what i'm saying. Mm Stand-up is similar. You know, it's a different art form, but it's still rooted in the personal. And not being afraid to to share deeply intimate parts of your story in ways that can be lighthearted. I mean, there's always some, like, you know, cynicism when it comes sure, to... Sure, yeah. uh-huh. but, but, like, I don't know if cynicism is the right word, but, you know, it's a blend. So that's, yeah. that's kind of how I approach the work.
0: That's great to hear. And then, but it also just backing off of what you said in terms of like to be this talented individual who is sharing their truth who is out there amongst your peers but then also to be told by people like we don't know what to do with you because there's no roles i kind of wanted to talk about hollywood in general and ask what do you think is are the next steps i know that you said representation is improving slowly but surely but what do you think it's going to take for Hollywood to truly like kind of pass the mic to trans performers and trans performers of color?
1: Yeah. I think that we've had some wins like with pose and like some other shows Mm -hmm. like that. But Mm -hmm. I think that there's this ownership bag. Like it's like people, writers don't necessarily do the right thing in like writing stories that aren't their own. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so getting people in the room is very important I think that it's happening slowly. And sometimes it's queer people who are like saying, Oh yeah, we, we need to bring people in on this that because like even as just cis queer people, we don't know trans stories or cis white people, we don't know trans of color stories, right? Mm-hmm. Trans folks of color. So I feel like because it's a money game, the industry is a money game, they want to keep saying, Well, we don't have money we don't have enough money to take a risk on somebody who doesn't know the industry or doesn't know how to do a certain thing. And the truth is we have so many trans and queer people of color who are extremely talented. You could put three of them in the room and get magic, but people I think are still afraid to take the risk. And on another tip, they don't know where to look, even though there's like listservs and all of this stuff. I feel like the industry is very good at being like we tried to look for somebody here but we could we couldn't find them you know what i'm saying right it's yeah. just laziness
0: so bringing this back to like the community at large mm-hmm. you came out at a time that was very closed off to the idea of what trans was and now now you're coming from a place where you are an icon within the trans community so what would you tell immigrant parents who might be they could be sri lankan they could be from anywhere well, what would you tell someone who's kind of like unfamiliar with the idea now trying to try to raise a young trans person? Yeah.
1: I feel like everybody is going to be trans soon. Everybody's going to be non-binary or trans or queer or something. Everybody's seeing these social constructions of the gender binary, just like completely collapse because they're built on, it's built on literally nothing anymore. Right. Not all of it, but most of it. So I would just tell any parent, immigrant or not, get over yourself. No, just plain. (laughs) Um, I would say, if you love your child, why would you want to make their lives miserable? And, you know, when I think about, like, sometimes my apple would be like, I'm fine with you, but don't tell anybody. That's mixed messaging. Yeah, it's the same thing. I totally understand. So (laughs) I'm like, support your child because the amount of shit that i had to go through is unfair and i know that i might on the spectrum of shittiness might have had it a little bit good do you hear what i'm saying because sure. i didn't get kicked out i wasn't homeless a lot of queer people have shitty shitty stories even people in our own community our own tamil sri lankan community you know but i would tell every immigrant parent who's struggling i'd be like get your ass into therapy it's not these queer people's fault mm-hmm. it's not them It's the shittiness of the world and the shittiness of their families. I'm like, if you want your child to thrive, if that's the, if that is the reason why you had kids, or if that's the base level thing that you desire for your child, just let them be and celebrate them.
0: That's incredible advice. And to flip it back on you. Um, What advice would you tell your younger self about your
1: journey, uh, about coming out from your place now? I would tell my younger self to get into therapy earlier. (laughs) (laughs) But I would also tell my younger self, like, you're good. You are good. You are beautiful. You are a stellar motherfucking human. Just live your life. I would have told my younger self to let go of my parents' expectations earlier than Mm -hmm. I had and to just do my life because nobody else is going to be doing my life except me. I'm just trying to get happy here. (laughs) And if I need to get happy and I need to not talk to my parents, that's okay yeah a lot of life is figuring out how to get happy Mm -hmm. and what makes
0: you what makes you get happy so I love that phrase get happy thank you so much for joining me in this conversation and hopefully other people get happy listening to it yeah Dila where can my listeners uh find out more about you where can they find you on social media where where can they find out about upcoming shows and tv shows and movies that you're a part of yeah
1: everything is on my like my handle you could just throw that in the google machine and it'll pop up everything it's my handle for everything. It's Diloko Kid. That's D L O C O K I D. Kid, mm-hmm.
0: I love it. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I love you forever, thank and I'll see you. you at some sort of family gathering. I assume sometime Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. All right, bye, cuz. Bye, cuz. <laughs> I'm so glad I was able to have this conversation with Dilo. Right now, across America, anti-trans bills are being signed into law with a clear intent to discriminate against people whose gender orientation goes against the binary. But I hope it's evident through Dilo's words just how much we would be losing if we didn't allow them or others to fully be and own themselves. The world is a better place because Dilo is free to be himself and will only get better as the people he encounters are inspired to be their truest selves as well. So what are you waiting for? be you, and get happy. Until next time, I'm Vic Ravindran, and thank you so much for joining me in the closet space.